John chapter 5, verses 16 to 29. Okay, and before we get there, normally we read, but I just, I want to like help frame what we're about to read. These verses are all about God the Father and his relationship with Jesus, who is his son. Now, like, I just had a son, so this is a new thing for me, and I get the new joy of, like, having a little boy, like, in my hands who, like, has my eyes, and it's weird, and I look at him, like, you're, like, a little version of me, and I can talk to him and and sing to him, and he, like, gets it, and he, like, tries to talk and sing back, Um, and it's, it's cliche, but it's for a reason, like, the father's heart is, like, a real thing that happens, like, I've heard of it, but, like, holding my son which he's back there right now. That's my wife holding him. Babe, can we just give everyone a little Obed shout out? Yeah, there he is. His name's Obed. Holding my son, I understand, I I get this like experience that I understood in my head, but now I like understand more of what it is to be a father and love a son. Um, I joke about this. I'm half Dutch and I don't know if you know Dutch people. They're not generally very emotional. Uh, I've never seen, you know, like my dad never cried. I'm kind of that way. Um, And like something is happening to my heart as I'm like raising this little boy. Um, I just watched Finding Nemo. My wife and I love Disney Pixar movies and we just watched Finding Nemo. And if you know anything about it, it's about like this father, like finding his son. And you guys, literally, I've almost cried like five times. And I never cry ever. I'm not that guy. And I was like, what is happening to me? Like this thing of like a father and his son. Now, we all had dads. We all have had dads. That's just part of what it means to come into the earth. Um, Some of us knew our dads. Some of us don't know our dads. Some of us had really good dads. Some of us had like okay dads. Some of us uh, had pretty bad dads. Um, Maybe some have experienced like the whole spectrum with their dads. You know, like there have been times that are awesome and times that are really hard. But here's, here's the truth. We are all deeply affected by our relationship or lack of relationship with our dads. That is simply how God designed life to be. We are deeply, deeply affected by our relationship or lack of relationship with our dads. Now, these verses we're about to read are the best, most clearest glimpse we're gonna get of of the best father-son relationship there is. Like what we're about to read, we're gonna get a picture, a little glimpse into the best father-son relationship that there is. And um, as we read these verses, I just, I, we, we said this when we started John. The book of John is, someone said, it's like a pool, shallow enough for a little kid to like wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Because it's like very simple and like a kid can get it. But then he'll say things, these things that are so profound and you're like, honestly, don't even understand what you're saying, John. What we're about to read is like that. On the surface, it's simple. It's about a father who loves his son. But you are also going to read, I, I didn't read at first because it's like, you're going to get lost and you're like, wait, what did he just say? And then it's going to go too fast and it's going to be confusing because there's such deep things we're about to read. So I just wanted to prep us. This is about a father and his son, the best relationship of a father and a son. It's going to be simple and really deep. So, you know, pay attention as we read these 15 or so verses. We're going to read verse 16 to verse 29 and then we will get into it. So let's do that together. John 5, verse 16. And this is why, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, 
and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That's God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have spoken and you have given us your word, that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. It's powerful enough to bring somebody who was dead alive. And in something that is dry, you can give it life again. And so Jesus, we just say, have your way right now in us. We sit at your feet. You, you, you have the, the right and authority to teach us and lead us and guide us and correct us, that we would know you, that we would know the Father. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you use your word to help us see Jesus, and you pour out the love of the Father on us. And so as we just kind of like wrestle with what you just said, Jesus. I ask that your spirit would be pouring out the love of the Father on us. That as we just keep wrestling and reading, that just bit by bit, we would just get more and more and more of the love of the Father in our hearts. So would you do that now? Help us if we're sleepy. Help me just to be faithful to you and what you said. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's how we're going to break this up. There's six essential truths Jesus just revealed about God the Father and the Son and their relationship, okay? Six things, that's how we're gonna break it up. We'll start at the beginning. Verse 17 is where our first one is. And the first thing, it's a rather obvious point, but it's profound, like the book of John, is this, God has a son. Remember that, God has a son. Now, we often think of God as like, you know, this giant, cosmic, crazy creator being. But listen, God is a dad. Like, just let that sink in. God is a dad. He has a father's heart. He's tender and caring and compassionate. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11, I love how he says this, if you then who are evil, just a little side jab by Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's saying, listen, your best dads around, even your best dads, they're evil. God is a good father. And if you have evil dads doing good things, how much more is God the father a good dad? And how much more does he know how to provide for you and care for you and protect you and do all the things a dad should do? Now, we may not have our dads around or we may have bad dads. Um, And so hearing the fact that God is a dad can be like challenging for some of us. Hopefully for some of us, it's like, oh, that's awesome. I have a good dad. Probably for many of us, it's like, okay, that's interesting. But listen, God simply just revealed who he is. I'm a dad. That's just who I am. Like, like imagine what a good dad should do. Like classic, right? Like he goes to all your games. He takes you with him places. He teaches you things. He sits with you. He like plays with you. He laughs with you. Like, let me ask you, do you see God that way? And do you experience God that way? Like, literally, do you experience God, like, at your games? And, like, wherever you're going? And, like, teaching you things? And, like, when you're sitting and when you're in nature and when you're playing, do you, is God in that picture? Because, like, he wants to be. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. Uh, When I was a freshman in high school, I was like, I was one of those crazy kids. I wasn't like necessarily a partier, but I just was like a prankster. Like I just wanted to like get in as much trouble, but like not get in, you know, like where's the line and I just want to push it. So I would do that my freshman year. There are like so many good stories I could tell you. Um, I won't right now, but let's just suffice it to say I went to a Christian school. I was like on the edge of getting expelled for like stupid things, like things with fire extinguishers and like catching seagulls, like not like things crazy, like ridiculous things. And they're just honestly like, Bo, you have to stop. Bo, you have to stop. And I would get all the warnings. And I was literally about to get kicked out of my Christian school, high school. And then I remember during this season, if you guys had this, oh my gosh, just the endless lectures with your parents, right? Like you sit down, then you hear the lecture and you just endure it. And you like look up in the sky and you just say what you need to say. And then like, but inside you're like, this is a joke. I'm not listening to them. I remember we would have all these things. My parents got really creative with their discipline um, because I went to a Christian school. I had to wear uniforms and my parents like, okay, uh, we're taking away all of your clothes except for your uniform. So whenever you do anything ever, you're wearing your school uniform. So like, <laughs> I was even like mad, but I was like, that's pretty good. Like, honestly, that's, that's, and I tried to play it off. Like, like, I don't know, like I was choosing to wear my uniforms. Like they did really funny things. So I remember this was like after a really bad day and my dad came home and we're having this lecture and I don't remember a, th- a single thing he said. Um, and then it ended. And I remember like 10 minutes later, um, I was walking down the hall in our house and he happened to be walking down the hall and my dad was looking down at the ground and he, he didn't look up at me and I'm just kind of like, whatever. And I casually look up at him as we passed and he had like tears in his eyes. Now, remember what I said, like he's Dutch. I have literally never seen him cry except for that moment. And I knew the one time I saw my dad cry was because I was being an idiot. And it honestly, like, oh, like it hit me. I was like shocked, like, oh my gosh. I like broke my dad. Like, what have I done? I've never seen him 
do this. And this stuck with me. Now, listen, God is a father and cares for us like that. Even in our rebellion and when we're being ridiculous, he cares. This verse in Isaiah 63, 9, it says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Like, God is not off in heaven. Wow, Satan is in the speakers. God is not off somewhere like, oh yeah, they're being dumb. Like, he is afflicted. God in heaven is afflicted when we are afflicted. Like, he allows himself, like that picture crying, he, he allows that to happen to him because he loves us. And because God is a dad, uh, Jesus says something in verse 18 that's profound. Um, Jesus, it, it said, or, or I think it was John, the writer, says he was making himself equal with God at the end of verse 18. Um, because Jesus is the son of God, he is equal with God. And because God is a dad, he has a son, and his son holds the divinity of God. And now listen, I just want to briefly mention, um, because you're at the age where you're going to be hearing stupid things about God. And there are many teachers who will tell you, hey, Jesus wasn't God. Or the many teachers who say he didn't know he was God, or maybe he became God eventually. Just look at verse 18. It says he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And we could go really deep theology right there, but just let it suffice to know Jesus is equal with God because God is his father. And that's that right there, that little picture of a father and a son and equality between them is one little glimpse of what we call the Trinity, right? Fancy word. Um, God is three persons, but he's one being. And it almost doesn't make sense. And listen, that helps us know we didn't make it up because that's a crazy thing to make up. Like God had to reveal it to us that I'm one God, but I'm three beings in any way. So the first thing to notice here is God is a dad. Now, the second thing to notice in these verses, we see it in verse 19, and it's this. Let's just read it first. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. The second thing to notice is the son does what the father does. We get that. That's how life works. If you had a dad, if you had a decent dad, you just grew up kind of like wanting to do what your dad did at some level, right? Like I was a little boy, I was three or four, and my dad was gardening, and I was like a little kid, and I couldn't help, but I wanted to be out there gardening with him, and we had all these snails, and we lived on like a really busy street, and my dad was like, okay, just take all the snails out and just throw it in the street. So I'd throw the snails, and like the cars would come and crunch them, and like it was just like my dream, like, oh, I'm gardening with my dad, like just throwing snails in the street. I just wanted to do what my dad did, and this is crazy. I literally just made a connection this week as I was writing the sermon, so my wife and I just moved into the house we're renting, and I just got to garden for the first time as an adult, and I'm like gardening all day, and I'm proud of it, and the first person I sent a picture to was my dad, and like, I kind of realized like, why am I even doing that, but it's just like, dad, see, look, like, I want to do what you do, like, that's in us. We want to do what our dads are doing, and Jesus wants to do what his dad is doing. Verse 17, it says, my father is working, so I'm working. 
That's something God is doing. God is always working. And because God is always at work in the universe, Jesus is like, I'm at work in the universe. This is another helpful picture. People will say, hey, do you know what? God is like this great watchmaker and he created the universe and he like, it's all detailed. And then he just kind of took a step back and let it do its thing. Well, verse 17 says, that's ridiculous. He's still working. He didn't just create and take off. He is still working. The Bible says he holds the, the world together, the universe. He sustains it by the word of his power. Meaning if God were to stop working in 10 seconds, it would be a bad thing for us. The universe would not keep working. It would no longer be sustained. God is always working. He's involved in your life. And because he's involved in your life, Jesus is intimately involved in your life. He's involved. So it's the second truth. God, Jesus does whatever he sees his dad doing. The third truth is this. Verse 21, I'll, tell you, I'll just tell you it. The father and the son raise the dead. It's kind of a crazy thing. The father and the son raise the dead. Verse 21, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, some background theology, if we've been reading John. John already taught us that every one of us is born spiritually dead. You're born dead, spiritually speaking. And you need to be born again. You need new life. You, don't, you, you can't like, what can a dead thing do? Nothing. It needs to be brought back to life. And if you are a Christian, that happened to you. Regardless if you know that or not, or you were aware of that or not, or you thought you had a part in that or not, you were dead, and God brought you back to life. And the way he does this resurrecting is in verse 24, he tells us, this is how I do it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do you know how you come to life when you hear the word of God, you go from death to life. That is the way it works. And I just want to encourage you guys, listen, this book is not a dead book. This book, the words of Jesus, bring you life. And I I can tell you there is more life here than in any person or in any substance or in any career or in any fun or adventure or dream job you will ever find. There is life in the words of Jesus. And, and one of the greatest and most successful lies the devil has told you is that this is a boring, dead, old book. There's no life here. And those who read it are just bored and dead and miserable. Listen, the way to life is through the words of Jesus. Like, do you guys believe that? Like, listen, when you get up in the morning, you're like, I mean, I'm like this. I know this is good, but like in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. You're like, oh, this isn't, how is there life here? This is crazy. And I just want to promise you, number one, we can know there's life because Jesus said so. Number two, do you guys know this story of Sennacherib? I just turned to it, by the way. Do you know this story? Okay, they're surrounded by an army of 176,000 people, I think. Something like that. It's a lot. 
And they're like, okay, this is not good. We're under siege. It's like a Lord of the Rings story. This is not good. If you don't even know the Lord of the Rings is, I hope you do. Um, anyways, they're, they're done for. And then Hezekiah goes to Isaiah and they start praying. And they're like, God, please. And in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord comes and slaughters 176,000 people and the camp's empty and like they're delivered. I just, I have to say, there's life in the Bible. Bare minimum, there's a good story. Just don't read the first verse, keep reading. Number two, this is a picture of what God does. He saves those who cry out to him. There is life in this book. And if you want life and if you want joy, listen, you need more than just a little filling on Friday and a little filling on Sunday. Like you need to get in this book and hear the words of Jesus. If you want life, listen, if you don't want life, that's fine. Go do something else. But there is life in the words of Jesus. Enough life to make someone who is dead spiritually come to life and enough life to make someone who is sleeping and in sin and just dry come back to life. And there's this picture for this point that the father and the son raised the dead. There's this, there's this Old Testament story of a father and a son and death and life. And I briefly want to say it because it's a picture of the father and the son. Um, there's this man named Abraham. And God basically says, Abraham, listen, you need to leave everything and trust me and follow me. And I'm going to make a whole nation through you. Abraham was like 75 at the time. His wife was like 65. You know, things still worked pretty similar back then. So they're like, this doesn't really make sense, but okay, God. God miraculously allows his old wife to have a baby. She has a baby. Abraham's like 100 years old at this point. And then God one day says, listen, I want you to take your son. And I want you, your only begotten, your one son. And I want you to take him on a mountain and I want you to sacrifice him and kill him. Slaughter your son. That's like in the Bible. You're like, what? And Abraham obeys. He even says Abraham rose early in the morning, which is epic. I hate raising early in the morning, let alone to go kill my son. And he goes and it says that Abraham took the wood for the sacrifice. And do you know he put the wood on his son's back? And his son carried the wood that he would die on up a mountain with his father. And at the last minute, Isaac's like, uh, dad, where's the sacrifice? And he says, listen, God's going to provide the sacrifice. And meanwhile, he's like getting tied up on a bunch of wood. And he's like, okay. And Abraham raises the knife to kill his son. And at that minute, God says, stop. Don't touch your son. Now I know you trust me that you would give me your only son. And it says there's a ram there that God provided and they slaughtered the son. Listen, do you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of God giving his only son who would carry the wood on his own back. And listen, God's son died. He actually lost his son. And then has the power to raise his son back to life. And now the father and the son can give life to whoever they want. And I love that, you guys. Listen, you probably have friends and probably have professors and probably have neighbors and people you work with who you're like, there is no way they will ever believe in Jesus. So I'm off the hook. I don't have to tell them because there's no way. Listen, God gives life to whoever he wants. It's no question doesn't matter how stubborn you are. Listen, there's not like dead and extra dead and extra, extra dead. You're just dead. 
and God gives life to whoever he wants. Listen, you right now, are you feeling dry and dead? God can give you life. Come to him, trust these words that you are hearing. God can make alive whomever he pleases. And do you know how he does it? Through his word and through a messenger taking his word to another person. That's how he does it. Through you is what I'm saying. You, if you, if you want to be like the father and the son, like take the words of Jesus to someone and watch God bring them back from the dead and give them life. The next thing, number four, is in verse 20. And it's this simple, simple, profound, profound truth. The father loves his son. Verse 20, the father loves the son. Earlier in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus was getting baptized, it said the heavens opened and God the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now listen, it is probably probably true to say that the deepest desire in your heart is to hear God the Father say that over you. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and I'm pleased with you. Like that's probably the deepest desire in your heart. And listen, we were not born children of God. We were born enemies of God and lived as enemies of God. And yet through Jesus being crucified on the cross and raised again, there is hope for people like you and me and the world to become a son and a daughter of God. Ephesians 1.5 says this, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. He didn't do it because he just wanted to show off. That's cool. He didn't do it because he felt obligated. He did it because he loved you. And he says, I want you to become one of my sons and daughters. And then Romans 8.15 says, he pours out his spirit on us. And it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, if you're a son or daughter of God, you have the spirit of God in you crying out like, Daddy, that's in you right now. That is in you. The Father loves you and looks at you in Christ and says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to sustain that. I love you and I will always love you as my son and my daughter. Number five, we see that Jesus is given authority to judge the world. You're like, hmm, that's inspirational. Uh, Verse 22, the father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the son. And then also he mentions that in verse 29. Uh, It says, uh, the, the people, we will all come out of our tombs and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So listen, There is a day coming when we will literally come out of our grave, literally, and see God and be judged. And verse 29 says, those who have done good resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, if you're paying attention, even halfway, you're probably thinking, wait, what? 
is that works righteousness? Like, you do good, you go to heaven. You do evil, you go to hell. You, are you, do you earn your sonship and daughtership and your salvation? Um, is that how it works? But I just want to remind us, no, you were dead. Couldn't earn anything, couldn't do anything at all. You were like, I, I love this metaphor. When Jesus saves you, it's not like you're in the ocean drowning and he throws you a life thing and you grab onto it and you're saved. You were drowned at the bottom of the ocean. You're not grabbing any life raft. He comes down, gives you life, and brings you to himself. You didn't earn that. He simply in love saves you. But now listen, something that is alive is alive. You guys with me to the end of that? Get what I'm saying? Something that's alive is alive. What are you saying, Bo? Listen, if you're alive, you're gonna do stuff. You're alive, that's what you do. If you're alive, you're not just going to sit there and be lame and act dead. That's not what alive things do. And if you do, you die. If you are alive in Jesus, you are alive. You will live like Jesus. If you are a dead branch and you are placed with the power of God into a tree and start to live, you will bear fruit. That is what happens. You don't lay at the bottom of the ground and try hard to bear fruit. That's not how it works. If you are alive in Christ, you are already bearing fruit. You are already living in Christ. And what he means in verse 29 is Jesus will look at your life and say, are you alive or are you dead? If, if you're alive, you will certainly be bearing fruit. You've been given a new heart. You've been given the spirit of God. You, have, you love God and you will walk with him. If you abide in him, you will bear fruit. And if, listen, it doesn't matter how many houses in Montecito you dig, if you're spiritually dead, it's doing nothing for you. You need to have life from the inside. Now, Jesus will come and judge our lives and see our fruit and see, are you alive or are you dead? And listen, judgment makes us uncomfortable. Who wants to think about the judgment of God? And I want to quickly remind you of another Old Testament story where God in his judgment, it's so gnarly. Um, Israel is a bunch of captives and slaves in Egypt and God is delivering them and it's just getting like worse and worse and worse. And the last thing God does to judge the captives in Egypt is he says, I'm coming tonight and I will kill every firstborn son in every single house unless you slaughter a lamb you put blood on the doorpost. And when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over your house. And God judged that community that night. And, and every house without the blood of the lamb mourned over losing their son. Like just to even begin to think about losing my firstborn son, it's too much. But now listen, that picture of the judgment of God is a picture of Jesus who is the lamb who was slaughtered and whoever would trust in his blood, the judgment of God would pass over him. And listen, if Jesus, who is the judge, was himself judged in our place, he can be trusted with judgment. Do you hear me? If Jesus, who is the judge, is himself judged in your place, if he's that kind of judge, you can trust him with judgment. You can trust him. And the last thing I want to say on the judgment of God, which is gnarly, is, um, you know, another thing 
a good father does is they spank their kids, they discipline their kids. I know it's not pop, it's like a bad word, but that's what good parents do. And listen, one day when you all have kids and your little kid runs out in the street, you're not just gonna like say, oh, you just do whatever you want. Like you're gonna do something if you love your kid. You may creatively not spank them and punish them. I don't know what you're gonna do, but you will discipline your child. And, and the Bible tells us that God, because he's a good father, disciplines those whom he loves. So, Listen, if you're doing something stupid, uh, God loves you enough to be like, hey, I'm going to make this miserable for you because I love you. And you're going to be annoyed, like, I don't want to wear my school uniforms out, and, but like, I see that you love me, okay. And I just want to say in love, it will pro- if, if you are a son or daughter of God, when you're just walking off, being dumb, being in sin, doing whatever you want to do, it's going to get worse and worse and worse because your father loves you. Your father loves you. And listen, there may be a point where you're like the equivalent of the prodigal son who's just in a pit of pigs, filthy. Listen, at that moment when you are just in your sin, the father's heart for you isn't like, I told you, clean yourself up and like maybe, you know, grovel at my feet and I'll let you home. Do you remember that story? The father ran to his son put a robe on his shoulders and a ring and threw a party because our father, though he will discipline and he will allow our life to be really like a bummer when we're far from him, he loves you and delights in you and wants to welcome you home. Like tonight, some of you are probably where you shouldn't be with the Lord. And you're like, man, I don't want to go home. I don't want that spanking. I don't want that guilt and that shame. And remember, Jesus took your guilt and your shame so you can come home and receive the Father's embrace over you, like tonight. Like if you make a step towards God, he will embrace you tonight. Jesus was punished so that you can be embraced. And then the last thing to notice is in verse 23, and it's this. Jesus cannot be separated from his father. And here's why that's profound. He says in verse 23, um, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father. They're just linked. And, and here's, this is why this is important. To know Jesus is to know God the father and to know God the father is to know Jesus. And this is really profound because listen, this is sadly why Islam and Judaism don't know the father. This is like really profound and tragic. But you cannot know the Father and reject the Son. You cannot claim that God is your Father and you love him and yet deny that Jesus is his Son. If you knew the Father, you would love and worship the Son. Jesus and his Father go together. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. So that's really important for us missionally We can't just be like, hey, look, people are trying to worship God. They may not have Jesus, but they're trying. Like, no, like you need Jesus to get it right. You need Jesus and the Father together. And then listen, as Jesus is linked with his Father, this is profound. This is like, this is really profound for your life with Jesus. You are so linked to your earthly Father. Hear me, this is really important. We have all received many things, good and bad, from our dads. And listen, it is simply true. We all carry wounds from our fathers that we may not even know about. And I'm not trying to get like off on a tangent, but listen, 
God designed life to work such that, that you are, just as Jesus is linked with his dad, you are linked with your dad. And we're kind of at this stage in life where like we can actually view our parents as adults for the first time. Like I'm an adult and I look at my parent and it's, it's strange. Like the relationship is changing. And um, we begin to realize probably even mourn over ways that like our dads let us down or our moms let us down. And I just have to say this. You have to face some of those wounds. You have to face them to be like properly healed from them. And part of like, listen, when you want to go get in a relationship with, you know, a future husband and wife, like those are like profound things that need to be talked about. And I just want to say this, that the healing that, that we need from those things with our earthly fathers can come from our heavenly father. And like that's part of walking with Jesus is dealing with that stuff. That's not like, oh yeah, that's like earthly stuff God doesn't want to deal with. And then there's spiritual stuff God does want to deal with. In Malachi 4, 5, it says, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. I I would venture to say one of the first things many of us need to do is to like forgive our fathers. Uh, We may not even know that we don't forgive our dads for certain things, but like, man, there's, there's probably like some little roots of bitterness in there that like will affect our relationships with one another and our relationships with God. And, and so I think one of the first things we need to do is, is to forgive our fathers. Not, listen, not even because they deserved it, but because that's what our heavenly father has done for us. Like, listen, the heavenly father says, I forgive you for your sin against me. And now I'm asking you to forgive everyone of their sin against you. And, and it doesn't compare as, as hurtful as some of those wounds may have been. I have forgiven you far more. And, and I want you to forgive them. And I think that's one of the first things we need to do with our dads. And it will profoundly affect our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then I, I just think as we hear, listen, God designed us to need our dads. And our dads are broken and they can't provide everything that they should have provided. And it's at that moment that we do need to turn to our heavenly father and need to find what we've missed out in in our earthly father with him. We need to hear the heavenly father say, listen, I love you and I am pleased with you and I forgive you of your sin and your rebellion against me. And I'm proud of you and I'm with you and I am your father. And I'll walk with you through your journeys with with all kinds of other people, but I am with you as a good father. And what we need right now is is we are going to turn to worship is to draw near to our heavenly father. And listen, I know this. Sometimes it's really intimidating to draw near to God. I think there's even something right in that, like he's God and I'm, who am I? And some of you maybe right now are afraid to draw near to your father, your heavenly father, because of guilt and shame. Listen, remember his son who he sent for you, who took your shame and took your guilt. And in Jesus, he says, I forgive you and I love you. Some of you guys are afraid to draw near to your heavenly father because of your drama and your baggage with your earthly father. Remember that that you need your your heavenly father's love to help you forgive them. I'd even challenge you to like commit to like, I don't know, even in your heart, the bare minimum bringing those wounds to your heavenly father saying, God, help me forgive, help heal these wounds that I have right now. 
and trust that he can do that. And what we need right now more than anything is to simply sit in the presence of our Father, hear him say, I love you, I'm pleased with you, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I sent my son for you that you could be my son and daughter. So that's what we're going to do in worship. We're going to have communion to remember like what Jesus did for us. We're going to have some people here if, if you want prayer um, and you don't, you're not comfortable going to someone you know, they'll be there. And also I just want to encourage us, like let's be the, the body of Christ together. Like let's like actually do something and not just uh, receive something. Let's like care for one another. If one of your friends are like, you could tell they need something, like reach out to them. Pray for them. See, see how we can love and encourage and even prophesy and pray for healing over one another. Um, that's what we need. Let's, let's be real. Let's not just let this moment pass. So Jesus, thank you for your love for us. You shed on the cross. Your blood was spilled that we could be forgiven and called sons and daughters of God. And God, thank you that you are our good heavenly father and that you are enough for us, and you help us walk through all the, the things that we need, Lord, all the things we missed out on. Right now, we turn to you as our Father. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and you'd pour out the love of the Father to us. You'd help us believe the gospel and we're forgiven. You'd help us experience the love of God. God, I pray for any like me who are just kind of hardened and don't really not in the mood for like emotional things. Would you just graciously still be a good dad to us, God, and come alongside us, put your arm around us. And we would just still sense that you're here and you're with us and you're pleased with us and you're willing to walk with us through this wherever we're at. So right now, Jesus, we come to you. We come to worship you, enjoy your presence.